Today, a question comes from Alexandra. Uh, she's from Montreal. And a question comes in the form of an email, and she says, Hi, Daryl. I just wanted to say once again that I really appreciate your newsletter. I look forward to reading it every week. This week, I especially like to comment on the importance of giving more attention to the conversational nature of psychotherapy in our training. I also like the quote at the end, it takes two to know one. That is, by the way, by Gregory Bateson, which made me appreciate the importance of supervision and core development groups to understand our clients better. I wanted to ask you a more personal question. When do you take time to read? I'm asking this because there's so many interesting articles and books that are on my reading list, but somehow I barely manage to make time to read. I have a two-year-old boy, so that makes it a bit trickier too. But you and other therapists have children too. Thanks for your work. It's inspiring. So first and foremost, let me just say this. I think it's going to be really hard to be able to focus and read when you have a two-year-old with you. I remember my kids were that age. It's really hard and my wife and I are often sleep deprived. So may not be the biggest priority to be able to do that. So I think being able to read in little chunks uh, would be good and don't have to extend more than that because I think there's a lot more other things that's vying for your attention from a hungry baby to the need to go into horizontal meditation and rest when you can get a chance. But having said that, let's kind of talk about my views about reading and then about strategies of what to do, what not to do, and how this applies to the longer game when we think about our development. So first and foremost, let me just say this. Reading to me is really precious. If thinking is a kind of monologue, reading to me is a kind of dialogue. And dialogue that happens in the case when you're reading is you're, re you're basically having a dialogue with somebody who thought about a single topic for a very long time, perhaps years. And to enter into that kind of conversation with someone is powerful. You know, for me, I, I grew up not liking reading. You know, I picked up reading probably when I was about like 13 or 14. The first book I I kind of went into was my math tutor. She thought it would be a good idea for me to read Sue Townsend's uh, diary, Secret Diaries of Adrian Mole. And my goodness, to me, it was amazing. Like, how is it possible that I could peer into another person's mind, an adolescent in this case? That sort of brought me quite deep into those stories. And given the fact that books were not big part of my life as I was more interested in other things like sports and music but it really started to become really pronounced when I am now directing my own learning endeavors my own learning journeys of what I want to find out and what I want to learn so let me just say this uh, for now like when we talk about finding time to read let's make sure that we are not just squeezing in this kind of hyperproductive mode of trying to get more, do more, read more. Instead, I want to also talk about what I don't do. So I, I don't really have a social media kind of hook on going into Instagram or TikTok. I have no accounts with those two, 
two platforms. I have Facebook, but I'm trying to phase it out in my life. I'm using less and less of that. Uh, I, I I don't play video games. I you know I I don't drink, uh, so I don't have nights where I'm gone just because of alcohol consumption. So, and and then the only thing that I use mostly right now is Substack, where all the newsletter publications for Frontiers of Psychotherapist Development goes out on every Friday. That's the, the main thing I use. is very creator-centric, and I like that. There's not a lot of frills to muck around with. I like that too. So, I, you know, that's what I typically do and what I do not do. I watch movies from time to time with my wife, and sometimes, you know, if she picks up a interesting TV show, we'll watch together. Um, but other than that, I don't have... I don't watch a lot of TV. I don't go into a lot of like binge watching of shows, but I do like a good movie and I enjoy that. So I do spend some time with that. So having said that, I think it's important for us also to think about what it means to be taking care of our time intentionally. So I'm a, I'm a slow reader. I typically read very intentionally. I read mostly at nights when... When I'm putting my kids to bed, I will read to them. And then after that, I might read a little bit. Or when I'm before I go to bed, which is a little bit later on, I read as well. So I kind of developed this recursive loop in my head. It's kind of like pouring kerosenes into the gaps in my mind. And the kindling of curiosity becomes somewhat out of control after a while because I, I'm trying to close the gap. I'm trying to think about what I what is it I don't know? And and most of the time when I'm reading, I'm trying to think about how I can be helpful to certain people that I'm currently working in my clinical practice with. So here's a reading strategy I would suggest. Lay out what you think you know about that particular subject matter before you begin reading. Now, this is by far... Uh, uh, it's, it's, it's like um, rocket fuel to the mind. It's sort of like it creates a sort of dissonance in, in your head because if you explicate what you think you know, you jot it down, and then you start reading, you realize soon enough that you actually don't have the full knowledge of that particular subject. And what's interesting is that that sort of magnetic force of wanting to close the gap pulls you further and, and fuels the curiosity. And besides, curiosity is our natural state, as Aristotle has said some thousands of years ago. And, and we, that curiosity is something that we want to keep taking care, fanning the flame and kindling it when needed. And I would say that one of the things about reading, we have to ask why we're reading. Uh, is it for leisure? Is it for specific learning purpose? For me, it's not... Uh, about a leisure activity. I mean, I, I, I've grown to enjoy it. You know, I've grown to really enjoy the sort of meditative state, the sort of flow state that puts me when I'm reading in a really good book. And, and But the, the main thing is often because I'm reading intentionally. I'm reading a lot of nonfiction stuff and I'm reading to kind of close the gap in my knowledge. And I read slowly. I don't rush through them. I do have criteria when I read. If it's something that I don't like in the first few chapters, I usually give it up. I don't. I don't have this kind of like law that I have to finish the book no matter what. I don't. If it's not good, I let it go. So I, I feel a little bit freer in my relationship with books. And to develop a slow habit of reading, 
my main aim is that I'm trying to learn, and not only I'm trying to learn to develop mental representations in my head, I'm trying to think about how those may be helpful to people that I'm working with. So I have four key tenets that I spelled out in the Deep Learner course that I, I, I that guides me in my way of not just reading but learning. So the first one is to create, which is to create space and time for whatever activity you're trying to do to learn, in this case, reading. Number two, it's about capturing. So when I read, I'm often capturing notes at the sideline of a book or on an ebook. I'm highlighting it. And even on an audiobook, I'm putting really key notes or little tags in there, hashtags to remind me that it belongs to the topic of trust, it belongs to the topic of shame, it belongs to the topic about relationships. I'm just tagging those things as I go. And if I'm reading a book that's kind of complex and, you know, really big idea kind of book, so like recently I'm reading this book by Charles Eisenstein. I, it's a, it blows my mind. There's this book called Ascent of Humanity. I love it, but it's because it's like, I think it's about like 600 pages and I'm, I can't hold all the ideas as I go and I've been taking months to read it. So what I've developed is I created this sort of a little papers where I'm just putting down little notes in there and I'm just putting there when I find something really interesting that I want it to be remembered and then I clip it. I put it, I put it at the uh, beginning of each chapter. So in that book, I have quite a lot of notes about what he's talking about, about our humanity and how we have separated from our true nature and so on. So then after that, I've captured that. I, I'm, I want to be able to retrieve it easily. So I store all these notes into a uh, PLS, or what I call a personalized learning system. In this case, I use Obsidian as my note-taking app. I call it PLS because it's not just about capturing knowledge, it's about learning. That's what I value. And I will scan these notes and I'll put it into that note-taking app so that I can retrieve, so that I can picked it up and look at it and try to think about, oh, what did I forget? Because often we forget quite a lot of things that we read. And then after a while, you start to get this idea that, wait, this note is really related to another note and you could create links to that, which leads to my fourth and final pillar in becoming a deep learner, which is to synthesize. Synthesize means you're not just collecting notes of information, you're not just collecting dots, you're trying to connect the dots from various ideas that you've gone through over the years. So then in this vault of mine at Obsidian, all my stuff are in there. And by the way, in my home office, I have a library and I allow a particular section down there and there's only this fixed amount of books that can go in there. Most of the time there's new books that enters into that and sometimes it's books that I'm revisiting that are, you know, plaguing me and I, I don't think seem to grasp some certain ideas or I forget it or it's really good, it goes into this particular section. And this section is called the ignorant section. I allow myself things that I do not know to exist in there so that whenever I'm thinking about, okay, what do I read next? I don't have to think too much. It's right there. I pick it up. I go through that. And I'm actively engaging. It's not a passive activity for me. I'm actively like reading and putting some notes and and capturing stuff as I go. Now, how do I decide what to read? There is probably three main principles that guide me on that. The first, and I've kind of talked a bit about that already, which is 
I'm reading for just-in-time knowledge, meaning uh, I'm reading it because it's related to somebody I'm trying to be helping in my clinical practice. So if this particular topic that I'm thinking about, I, I want to cover some gaps about that. So for instance, somebody was harping and talking a lot about uh, the use of um, uh, the Myers-Briggs in understanding himself. And, you know, I have my thoughts around that, but I can't seem to, you know, wrap my head around why this is so important. But then again, on an anecdotal level, people really seem to catch on to that. So I'm re I was reading this book by Annie Murphy-Paul called The Cult of Personal Personality Testing to kind of help me understand that in more detail, why this pulls people so much. And then if I'm working with somebody who's having difficulty with attentional focus or ADHD, and sometimes I'm just trying to retrieve certain books that are related to that to see how best I can help this particular person. This also links to the second principle, which is how I decide what to read is dependent on what is linked to my personalized learning aims. So we've created this particular worksheet called the Taxonomy of Deliberate Practice Activities, or TDPA. We're now in version 6 since the release of the new book, The Field Guide to Better Results. We've talked about this in the book before, Better Results. But basically, this TDPA worksheet deconstructs the therapy hour, breaks down about how you begin therapy, how you deepen the process, and how you close. And I'm also thinking about that. I'm thinking about how it relates not just to helping one person, I'm thinking about how do I solve for patterns? So it goes another layer, which means what are some skills that I could learn that may be helpful not just to one client, but to many other people that I'm working with. So I'm reading stuff to fill that level of gap as well. And then finally, sometimes it's just plain old curiosity. I want to learn more about that. And so I'm picking up a book about that topic. I also want to briefly mention about how I choose the format of books to read. So I do have some criteria that I go through, some rough heuristics. So when I'm reading a PDF, it's usually because it's a peer-reviewed journal article. So I read that on my laptop most of the time. And sometimes I would put that into an excellent Read It Later app that's called uh, Reader by Readwise. I find that really useful because you don't have to be reading there and then you could just uh, push it into that app and it stores it in there. It could store a PDF and the really wicked thing, it even stores YouTube links. So if a video that you're watching and you want to take some notes, it is able to extract the transcript and you could highlight the notes from there as well. Really nifty. And if you're reading something on the web, on your browser, you could push it into there to read. So I'm often reading those things at night. I don't cover all of them because sometimes I think it's important right in front of me if I'm looking at the computer. I push it to reader, but then later on I'm looking through it. Well, well, maybe it's not so important, and I'll let that go. And then ebooks, so it could be on the uh, digital copies on the Apple iBooks. So most of the time for me, it's on the Kindle. So usually I'm choosing ebooks when it's I'm not so sure that I want to read that. So it's kind of a lower stakes, and I would get the ebook copy in there. What about audiobooks? Now, audiobooks seems to have grown in demand over the years in, in most markets. And I, I find it, I, I choose audiobooks when I know that I want to hear specifically the authors reading that book. So, for example, 
The book Story Worthy by Matthew Dix was a game changer for me because I re- at one point I really wanted to learn how to improve my skills in storytelling. Turns out there's so much more to storytelling that I did not know and Matt's able to distill that really well. But I've seen, I've heard Matt present his stories. He's an excellent storyteller. So I want to hear the cadence, the way, the delivery he does. So I, I, I get the audiobook in that case. But specifically to this, I've also gotten the audiobook and the ebook, and you could switch between the two seamlessly, and that's pretty nifty technology to use in that case. And then for paperback, it's when you know I know that I want to keep it. It's something I want to have and return to it, so I invest in that. But I'm not too precious with it, as I mentioned. I write, I highlight, I put notes, I put document tags in there, and all that stuff. Um, you know, it's something tactile that really makes a big difference for me. So that's pretty much it. But I also go through periods where I, I'm sort of like overwhelmed, right? There's just so many stuff I'm thinking about. And in those periods, I actually have created a week on stretch where I have what I call no inputs from other minds. I don't listen to podcasts. I don't watch new videos. I, I don't read anything new. And that's because I could feel the kind of cessation in me that is sort of like overwhelmed already and I, I need to put a stop. So it's just kind of like a bit of a cleansing of the palate, if you like. So in short, reading is precious. To me, it's dialogical. It's, it's more than just, oh, it's something that, you know, uh, what some people might say, oh, it's just something you learn from a book. It's no big deal. To me, it's not. It's a big deal because you are tapping into somebody who has thought about this for a long while and has hopefully structured it in good writing and you are engaging in a kind of thinking with another person. I find that really powerful. And for me, I usually find time to read at nights and, and I read really slowly. I read very intentionally. And if things doesn't appeal to me, I let that go pretty quickly. But then why I'm doing that? I'm doing that because I'm trying to learn. Why am I trying to learn? I'm just trying to let that become translatable, hopefully, to people that I'm working with. Frontiers Radio. Welcome back to Frontiers Radio, brought to you from Frontiers of Psychotherapist Development. We have been on a long hiatus from the podcast and the video series. My hopes is that we're going to go back into this and specifically, we're going to do a bit of Q&As. There's some questions that I've gotten over time and I'm going to be replying to them. And if you have any that you would like to raise about your professional development, please send them to info at darylchow.com. That is I-N-F-O at Daryl Chow, D-A-R-Y-L-C-H-O-W.com. And I hope to be able to answer your questions that you may have related to getting better at what we do as psychotherapists. You could send an email or if you like, you could send a voice memo. Just make sure that it is up close to your phone. You're recording that voice memo on this minimal ambient noise at the back. Hope to hear from you and stay tuned for more episodes on this.